Welcome to Crab Takes and Football. This is what the Baltimore Sports Report does. I'm TK, joined by Andrew Holly. Holly, how we doing? Doing all right, TK. You know, I'm ready to talk about some Ravens. It was it was kind of a crazy, 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 crazy game, but it's always good to leave Pittsburgh with a win. Yes, sir. Our third victory. I guess this is Wednesday, but at one point it was Victory Monday. Our third victory Monday of the year, the Ravens moved to three and two, take back first place in the AFC North with a thrilling 26-23 victory over the Steelers in Pittsburgh in overtime. Oh boy, that was quite a ride. We're going to look at the offense, defense, and special teams. We'll hand out a game ball, talk about our pop of the week, which I think there's only really one choice, and we'll look forward to Week six, as the Bengals come to town, we'll put somebody on the bulletin board and give you a prediction for week six. So let's hop right into it. The Ravens offense, again, some good, some bad. What did you see there on the offensive side of the ball? You know, I think we started to see potential areas where teams will will attack the Ravens offense. You know, and, and, and what may, whether this works moving on, we'll see. But certainly, despite, you know, 70 yards on the ground, you know, it was only nine yards, you know, was the longest Lamar Jackson run. And their their defensive line figured out a way to sort of contain him, keep him in the pocket. You know, he was sacked five times. He made three or he, he gave up three interceptions trying to rush certain throws. Of course, there's one of those probably at the ground. But but regardless, certainly a day where Lamar was harassed a little bit more than we're used to, I think. And and it'll be interesting to see if that's where people start going to stop the Ravens. Yeah, it seems like the, the Steelers were pretty sold out on stopping the run. But then what hurt was that we couldn't make them pay for it down the field. Um, yep. So, I mean, that that's got to be the balance that the Ravens need to strike is that, you know, if they are committing a lot of their defensive resources to stopping the run, then, you know, there are going to be some one on one matchups. The wide receiver needs to win those matchups and Lamar Jackson needs to be accurate with the football. This is, you know, like you said, one or two of the interceptions, maybe not exactly Mark Lamar Jackson's fault. The one was. I thought a pretty clear defensive pass interference on Mark Andrews. The other ball you mentioned was hitting, moving once it hit the ground. You know, we can talk about the referees later, but it, Lamar Jackson was just not pushing the ball down the field, and it, that's what he's going to have to do if teams decide that you know the Steelers have, you know, quote unquote, the blueprint to stopping him. And you know, we saw it against the Cardinals and we saw it against the Dolphins, that ability to push the ball down the field. And he's got to get back to that. Of course, you know, not having Hollywood Brown for about half the game, I guess, doesn't really help because he is that guy that can immediately win matchups and stretch the field. But again, there's got to be other guys that step up and, and make those types of plays, not necessarily just short and intermediate routes, but really getting down the field. Yeah, I, that's that's what my biggest concern is right now, because if people are able to figure out a way to cover our tight ends, if, you know, Marquise Brown isn't on the field, the Ravens don't have anything right now in the air. And, you know, however they want to try to figure out how to make that happen, we'll see. I mean, Willie Sneed got some targets. You know, he had four receptions for 51 yards, five targets. I I don't know. I it's it's we we need we need some other guys on the wide receiver core to get open. But that said, when the other guys on the wide receiver core that are really getting playing time are Seth Roberts and Willie Sneed, you know, that's that's not great. Yeah, and and you know, Sneed's not the guy that's really going to stretch the field. I don't think that's really Seth Roberts' game either. It's got to come from a guy like a Chris Moore. You know, he was drafted as a, a deep threat, and it's got to come from a guy like Miles Boykin. 
And, you know, Boykin didn't really have much of an impact on the game at all. I don't think he was targeted at all. But the the onus can't be strictly on Marquise Brown to do this. Like, because no. because as soon as teams can, can key in on the run, they can also do a little bit of bracketing on him to take him out of the game, too. So... And, and, you know, we've we've seen him be hurt a couple times now. So, I mean, it's not a sustainable model right now. So, if the Ravens are going to keep rushing the ball you know, 40 times a game, I kind of don't mind that because at the end of the day, you know, one of my notes here, time of possession, including uh, overtime, was 39 minutes. And, you know, that that's compared to the 25 minutes that the Steelers had, you know, dominate time of possession, which comes with running the ball, and, and I love that, but the Steelers were able to be really aggressive along their front seven and really stuff the running backs. The running backs averaged 2.6 yards per carry. So if you take Lamar out of the picture, the running backs aren't even getting three yards a carry, and that's not good at all. So, I mean, have to be able to throw the ball down the field so that teams can't just, you know, stack the box like that. And um, Well, and let's face it, for the Ravens to be good – they need to be able to run the ball against good defenses. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just it. Everything everything the Ravens are built off of is the running game. So when all else fails, they at least should be able to, you know, with how this team is built and how they build themselves, they should at least be able to run the football. So if they come in on a game like like Sunday and can't run the football, that really puts the Ravens offense in a disadvantage pretty quickly because yeah. those play action passes, all those things that made Lamar deadly earlier in the season don't matter anymore. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even though the Ravens struggled to do that, I wouldn't say that the offensive line played poorly. I think they still looked okay, but it's just that the, <clears throat> the Steelers themselves on, on defense are, getting a lot better than they were last year for sure they they're actually a pretty solid defense i think and Their you know they just had that especially is impressive yeah yeah they yeah they're good i mean guys like to it uh, up front i mean and hargrave up front you know they they got a tough tough defensive line they got devin bush who's who's going to be a good linebacker i i, I like what i saw Watt. from him yeah I mean, and Watt and interception i mean he made downfield i mean was it an interception probably not but holy crap like yeah. you know to even um, be down there yeah, I, I mean, that's uh, you see why we wanted Devin Bush potentially instead of Marquise Brown. Of course, you think about it now. Well, shit, I'm, I'm glad we got Marquise Brown. But that said, how great would Devin Bush look uh, in, our, in our defense right now? I think a, a player probably sorely needed in that respect. But, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, just – I think that 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 is a great point, though. I mean, the Steelers are definitely a better defense than we're necessarily used to the last couple years. Not that they were necessarily bad, but I think, like you said, they've improved. Some of their younger players are now a lot better than they were. Now, here's my question to you with the Steelers where they are right now. This is sort of random, random sidebar to talking about the offense, but. But and maybe we should take this moment to to move on to the to the defense, maybe. But would you would you try to trade for a player on the on the Steelers? I don't know who that would be on defense. I don't have any player in mind. Obviously, they're not trading us to it or Devin Bush or or, you know, anyone that is necessarily a a star player. But with them having a real rebuilding kind of year looking like, uh, especially with their quarterback situation. Would you go to the Steelers and try to target some players and make that deal? Or are they, are they like the Yankees and the Orioles in baseball where you're just like, eh, I don't want to. Well, I don't know. I, I don't think so because at this point, anybody that the Steelers would be okay giving up is probably somebody that is not too great. I also, I mean, anybody that we would ha- like, we would have to give up a ton to give up and to get anybody really worth it. So I don't think so. I think I'm out on that. Um, yeah. Uh, I, is I, I there anything you have in mind? 
No, I don't. And as I mean, as I as I look at the roster, I think I think probably that that question is better reserved for the Bengals than the Steelers. You know, I don't know who it would necessarily be on the Steelers that I would think we can go for. There might be a few players, though, as as I think about it on the Bengals, that if they were willing to make a deal, I might want to do that. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, we, we can talk about that a little bit, you know, as we are flipping it over to the defense. I, I did see some encouraging signs here, and it, it starts with your guy, who, who you were really impressed with, Josh Bynes. You know what? I'll tell you what. How how amazing is it that this guy came in off the street, hasn't played a professional football game or taken part in training camp, for that matter, since November of last year, so 11 months ago. And here he comes in with 42 snaps, an anchor on the defense, gets an interception. I mean, welcome back, Josh Byrne. Yeah, I mean, talk about staying in game shape. I mean, that's that's incredible to be able to do that. And and I think even aside from the the interception, he showed some really good recognition on a couple of screen plays. He was really good in in, in uh, the the run defense as well. So I think he kind of at least last week solidified that linebacker spot and allowed peanut to move back over. And I think peanut looked a lot better too. in in his usual spot. So, I mean, it may not be the most perfect long-term solution, like maybe not even for the full year, but at least temporarily encouraging signs from that middle linebacking group. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, and it's good to at least have a little bit more depth as someone who you you can trust a little bit more. I mean, I think I think I obviously once again have proven how stupid I am uh, when it comes to football knowledge because I think I poo pooed the idea that Bynes might be able to come in and and just know what the defense is because <laughs> we changed some of the language and everything everything else, but. Obviously, I, I I don't know what I'm talking about there. So keep that in mind, folks, when you listen to my opinion in the future. <laughs> uh, but uh, but but you know, it, it was how how amazing is that for for him to do what he did? But you know, with that said, we now have that just a little bit more depth. Does that mean Barnes is going to do that every week? Hopefully not, because you know you want someone like Kenny Young or Chris Board to step back into where we hoped they would be in training camp. Um, but, but if you at least have a little bit more comfort zone with binds there to, to be able to step in when needed. Yeah, for sure. And, and specific to binds, he may not have to do that every week because LJ Fort, who was also active, uh, almost immediately only played on special teams. So I guess as he starts to learn more of the defense, he and binds will kind of split some of those linebacker snaps in that spot. So binds isn't going to have to play 40 something uh, snaps uh, every game, you know, he'll be able to split that. So get really the effective snaps out of both of them. And, um, you know, while, while peanut still played, you know, 90% of the snaps, it was at his, at the position in which he was more comfortable. So, I, I mean, I think this is a really smart move uh, by, by the front office and by Harbaugh and uh, wing Martindale to, to mix up that linebacking crew Um I think it was really helpful. The other guy that we were that we were pretty impressed with, with, with was uh, Jalen Ferguson on the edge. Yeah, he he's starting to get some more snaps. It was good to see that. You know, Harbaugh has actually mentioned uh, since the game on Sunday that you know he's going to continue to get more and more starts as the season progresses, and that's always great to see because as we've talked earlier, we were kind of looking at at who were the inactives every week, kind of starting to track whether, you know, any of the rookies were necessarily would would get into that sort of rookie doghouse that Harbaugh tends to have sometimes with with some of the middle round picks if they don't quite uh, get up to his standards right away. So it's good to see him progressing into that week to week playing time and that 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 Harbaugh is ready to keep adding to his plate. Um, you know, I don't think we need, we can look at Jalen Ferguson and say, okay, this guy's the savior. He's gonna, he's the guy that's going to come in now and be the sack daddy, you know, that, that maybe he'll grow into uh, as the seasons progress. But at least it's good to, again, similar to Bynes, you've got a guy now you're adding to that depth, um, you know, which is obviously 
pretty, pretty uh, shallow, to say the least, at a defensive end and just general pass rusher for the Ravens. So to get another man into that current kind of two-man mix between McPhee and Judon, it's going to be good to have Ferguson getting snaps. Yeah, I mean, Ferguson's already getting more snaps than Tyus Bowser. And, you know, I, I don't think that's saying too much poorly about Bowser. I mean, he hasn't had you know the greatest impact. I think it is. I, I'll be honest with you, and not to not to interrupt you there, TK, but um, as I probably do like 25 times <laughs> when, when we record this podcast. But, um, you know, I think it, it's very – there are very stark differences already between how John Harbaugh – discusses Jalen Ferguson versus almost every time Bowser or may he rest in peace, Tim Williams, you know, when he was on the roster, you know, I, there, there rarely are nice things said. I mean, maybe there are positive things because they're trying to, you know, not say this guy's terrible, but yeah, you know, I mean, Bowser's had some moments, but he still isn't living up to that that draft status. Yeah, and as I said that, I just checked the box score. In 16 snaps, Bowser did not show up in the stat sheet. Or 17 snaps, I'm sorry. So, yeah, maybe it is a, a little bit of an indictment that Ferguson's al- already getting some of those snaps over him. But I, I think it's a really good sign that Ferguson's coming on a little bit. You know, even in the draft process, everybody said, like, he's he's pretty raw. I think his bull rush is real. You know, that that kind of go-to move yeah. that he has, he was moving That's Villanueva. Yeah, he was moving Villanueva, who's a really good left tackle. He was he was getting after him pretty good with that bull rush, and I think that's a really, really encouraging sign. But just like everybody says, like, you can't just have one go-to, and he's really got to develop, like, a counter or a little bit of more hand fighting or something like that. So that, you know, people just can't sit on the bull rush and, uh, you know, handle it. So, yeah, Jalen Ferguson, stock rising, and that's really good to see. And uh, really good news for the defense. Um, Maybe some not-so-good news for the defense. And, uh, you know, I I know that you have a a take on this. Is Tony Jefferson being out for the rest of the year uh, due to a torn ACL? Probably a little bit more. What do you feel about Tony Jefferson going down for the season? Yeah, I, I look. I, I want to preface this by saying, you know, best best wishes to Tony Jefferson. By all accounts, wonderful guy. Like following on Twitter. I, I mean, he's he's he's. I I don't mean any of what I'm about to say personally. He's been a fantastic Raven, you know, on and off the field for the most part. Um, but with that said, you know, it's an intriguing opportunity that Jefferson's injury has opened up for Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott. Um, You know, just over the past few days, now maybe this is just that standard next man up hyperbole, but all we're hearing about is how smart Chuck Clark is and how, you know, during training camp, uh, Earl Thomas went up to him and said, bro, why did they sign me when they've got you here? You know, and all these all these things are starting to come out in the press. So I'm sure that's on purpose. Um, but at the same time, if it's real, if the if the hype is real, it's going to be great to see. See him have the chance to really step into the role at this point. Um, it's not like Jefferson also was playing. Pro Bowl caliber safety. I, I'm not going to say he's. I'm not trying to point the finger at all at Tony Jefferson and saying he's been the problem with the defense. But I think the secondary as a whole has certainly been the most disappointing part of this season for the Ravens, or certainly the most disappointing part of the defense. I think even with the pass rush. Um. So, at least getting some fresh fresh talent in there and seeing if, if some of that promise can, can pay off, I think add some intrigue as we move forward with the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it sucks to lose a guy like Jefferson, um, you know, like you were saying, all the reports and things like that. I mean, it's very clear that the team loves him and, and 
the other thing that he does so well is the communication. And, and I'm pretty sure he yeah. got a lot of that from Eric Weddle. And because they always talked about how great Eric Weddle was. And then Tony Jefferson talks about how much he learned from Eric Weddle. So that communication might might be felt a little bit on the defense. But like you said, I mean, even in the preseason, we were, we were hearing about Chuck Clark and, you know, how smart he is. You know, Boston College guy, I believe, you know, great school. I mean, maybe not as, as great as that Harvard school, uh, the other one in Boston. But he, he, Chuck Clark has shown that he can make plays. He had the interception at Kansas City last year. Deshaun Elliott, we've seen that he can make plays. I think he really fits into that strong safety kind of moving forward kind of role really well, whereas Chuck Clark, you know, seems to be a little bit more well-rounded and maybe not as flashy as Elliott, but seems to be a little bit more well-rounded. So I do anticipate Clark getting the majority of these strong safety snaps, but it does allow for Elliott to come in on the big nickel or some of these dime snaps where Chuck Clark was playing. So I think it gets these guys on the field, which I think is a good thing for the defense. The other guy um, is Anthony Levine. And I think it, it this is going to be best for him and best for the defense if he sticks in that current role in the rotation with uh, Peanut. And now it's going to be Chris Board. So, um, yeah, yeah, losing Jefferson sucks. But like you said, maybe not playing at the very highest level that he was capable of. And maybe a little bit of shakeup uh, will be what the defense needs. Now, going forward, uh, the green dot comes back into question. Some, I think Jeff Zrebeck said that it could be Chuck Clark that just steps in and wears the green dot. The other option would be Peanut. And we've seen with Peanut, I mentioned it last week, there are some patterns of some not so great defense being played while he has the green dot. Again, it might not be the direct correlation, but if it's Chuck Clark, I think I'm still comfortable with that. And, you know, I'd even still be comfortable because he even went to Virginia Tech. and not Oh, he's a Virginia Tech guy. Even as a Hokie. My bad. Even as a Hokie. No, that's okay. It's funny when you when you mentioned it, I was, I was thinking he was Virginia Tech, and I went and looked it up. And I I did happen to be correct this this time, so, shockingly <laughs> so. I'm usually pretty bad about remembering where guys went to college. But uh, but anyhow, you know, I, I think the green dot is a really interesting thing uh, to think about. Now, the, the only – I guess I – let's put it this way. If it goes to Clark, that means he's getting playing time. I mean, because yeah. the green dot guy has to be on the field most of the time. So that, that I think, is, is the only downside, potentially – saying, well, Clark's going to be the green dot guy because he may come up on and off the field in different packages. So unless they're planning on him essentially just being on the field, you know, and being one of those guys like Jefferson would have been that was just, you know, most most of the defensive snaps in the game, then that's great. I'm happy for Chuck Clark. Hopefully he will perform. I'd be kind of surprised if they went that way. I mean, just because – you think about Deshaun Elliott and Anthony, Anthony Levine, some of the other guys we have on the roster that you know will likely get playing time at safety or more more playing time at safety based off of Jefferson's injury. So, um, I but that's it, it's going to be real interesting to see what happens because if Chuck Clark really is, you know, the the smartest guy in the room, blah 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 blah, then maybe he should have the green dot on. And then why the hell did we sign Earl Thomas? You know, like go spend some money on a pass rusher. But but no, um, but in all seriousness, um, you know, that's that's going to be a, a big key to the rest of our season. I know that's a probably Captain Obvious statement, but, you know, we're going to need, you know, that how, you know, how true was it? We sat here before the season. Wow. Think about the secondary depth we we have and, you know, mm-hmm. and we lose Tavon Young. For the season, we use, lose Tony Jefferson for the season. We lose Jimmy Smith for at least half the season, I think. I mean, he might potentially be back next week, I think, is what I'm reading. So, um, you know, that's three pretty huge pieces to this uh, 
the secondary. So that depth is being tested, and hopefully they'll uh, they'll pass with at least average grades. Yeah, for sure. So now let's talk about our corners. I think two in particular stood out to me. Of course, Marlon Humphrey with the biggest play of the game. But I want to talk about Maurice Kennedy a little bit. After getting cut after training camp, um, you know, he decided to stick with the Raven, Ravens practice squad and was was brought back up once Jimmy Smith went down. But these past two weeks, I think he's been he's been really solid. I mean, he's, I, he's, he's, he's pop. He's pop. Yeah. Screen. Yeah. I mean, like there was a deep ball where he was in pretty good coverage. You know, he had some pass breakups. He forced a fumble, which was uh, eventually um, eventually not turned over by some review. And, you know, again, we're going to talk about the refs in a little bit, so I'm just going to leave that alone for now. But he's looked pretty good uh, to me, at least. He had the interception last week. He played well again this week. And uh, he's really, really stepping up big uh, for the defense with, with again, some, some depleted corners. Yeah, that's it, it's good to see him play. It's good to see some of the um, superlatives that you would read about, you know, during offseason practices and stuff finally start to translate a little bit to, to the games here. So uh, we'll see if that continues. But I agree with you. He's definitely, you know, it's popped when when he's been on the screen and hasn't been. It, well, I shouldn't say that. There has probably been a little bit of a, oh, God, it's Kennedy. And then you go, oh, wow. You know, so, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, you know, very pleasantly surprised with his play, for sure. Yeah, for a guy that got cut, I mean, it is a pleasant surprise. I mean, you know, a lot of people are going to say, like, oh, yeah, I, I always knew he was good. You know, he always played well in the preseason, but never really translated onto the field. Pleasant surprise, just like you said. It's, it's been really nice. And then, of course— our guy, Marlon Humphrey, what a beast, man. He is an animal. He absolutely is an animal. I mean, he's he's our he's our defensive captain. Forget that business earlier in the in I think during training camp when we were talking about gosh, who's gonna who's gonna be the guy that, you know, takes over for Sizzle as the last man out of the tunnel for the defense. And we thought, oh, maybe it's Earl Thomas. He can be that guy. No. It's Marlon Humphrey. He's the guy that's now taken that mantle from the defensive players like uh, like Suggs, like Ray Lewis, like Ed Reed. He is that guy. He is that playmaker. He proved it this this week against the Steelers. I mean, he he made that happen. That's all you can say. He made that win happen. Yeah. So. He he said after the game that that Martindale kind of tracks the ball punch outs or at, at least the attempts as well and and he failed on one uh, early in the game which 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 was on the Smith Schuster <laughs> touchdown and he didn't wrap up but this on the on the one in overtime you can see that he wrapped up that time as well as punched the ball out so I mean even if you look at the defense and you know I was trying to rack my brain after he said that. The two guys that I really see going for those punch outs are him and Peanut. And you can see Humphrey go for it, you know, several times a game, you know, just trying to make a play, forcing something to happen. And he forced this play and not only to to punch the ball out, but to go and recover it himself, too. It took a wild bounce to stay in bounds and for him to go track that ball down was probably one of the best individual efforts that we've had all season. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, that's that's got to go down now. And, you know, say what you want about the rest of the game. I think for the most part, both both sides would, would probably not want to watch it over again. Um, but as far as, you know, the pantheon of great plays and Raven-Steelers games, that's that's right up there at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see. A- any last thoughts about uh, about the defense here? I mean, you know, maybe some trade talk. You know, yeah. Let's 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 put this into the into the defensive conversation because we don't really have to spend too much time talking about a woeful Bengals team. 
You know, but but definitely, I think, you know, we're going to see the Ravens make some moves. I think, you know, there's been a lot of rumbling about, uh, you know, Eric DaCosta already being on the phone, making phone calls, blah, blah, blah. We'll see where the Ravens target. I mean, I think one of the easier things you would imagine, at least, for the Ravens to add would be a pass rusher. Because all they need to do is say, okay, go get the quarterback when he says hike. You know, and then they can kind of take care of business with the rest of the defense. uh, To me, that would likely be a little bit easier for somebody to 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 learn. Now, maybe I'm being naive with that. But, you know, if there's a veteran that can come in and pick things up fairly quickly, I would imagine it's a pass rusher. Now, would we be able to get a Von Miller? I doubt it. You know, that's the guy who I I drop my pants for. Certainly, you know, he's the guy that I'm willing to. (laughs) <laughs> to uh you know trade a first round pick for you know it you know he's a guy who um i think i i read the other day that he's already through all of his uh guaranteed money so you know i'm sure you're you, you've either got you know that short-term flexibility or you're signing him to a new deal that's more cap friendly blah 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 so you know i that that would be huge. Now, do, do I think Denver would trade Von Miller? No, but there's certainly other other teams out there. I mean, just look at the Bengals, like we like I was mentioning before. I mean, there are definitely guys on that Bengals defense I would be willing to trade for. I mean, Carlos Dunlop, sure. Geno Atkins, sure. I'm not sure if Atkins really fits our defense, but I think Carlos Dunlop would. Um. So, you know, maybe Drake Kirkpatrick, you know, I would, I would, I would trade for some players on the Bengals defense. What do you think about that? They do have some players. They do have some players. I'm, I I don't know. I just, if I'm looking for a trade, I'm actually heading down to Jacksonville and not for Jalen Ramsey, but uh, Yannick Ngakwe is, is a guy that I kind of had had my eye on a little bit. You know, he's a Maryland guy. So of course, um, uh, he, I know that he's a good player. He racked up a ton of sacks in his first few years in the season, uh, had a contract issue in training camp, but ended up reporting and I believe is going to be a free agent after this year. So in that case, his price tag may not be all that high and he's a high production kind of guy, but they probably just don't have space for him because they just, uh, drafted Josh Allen out of Kentucky this year. So he has he proven himself as a guy that can get after the quarterback. He may not have a ridiculously high price tag on him and, uh, you know, kind of does solve the additional pass rush situation. And even if he goes and becomes a free agent next year, then, you know, we already have, what, 11 draft picks this year. You know, go draft somebody else uh, that, can, that can rush the pass rush. And, and I don't think that really tears up the plan. Uh, in the long term. I just, I guess, question whether Jacksonville is going to make any trades. You know, I mean, I, I, it's one thing for them to say, well, Jalen Ramsey's a malcontent. It's time to move him on. I don't really see them, especially with the Gardner Minshew magic going on right now and everything. I don't see them making, making trades for depth. I mean, maybe, or, or trading their depth, I should say. Um, that's just me, but I, it, I'd have a hard time seeing that at the moment. Now, maybe three weeks from now at the end of the month, that'll be a different story if they're, you know, two and six at that point or, or whatever they would be. I'm not sure when their bye week is. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just looking over the standings here. You know, obviously the Broncos have a crappy record. The Redskins, what about Ryan Kerrigan? Yeah. I mean, if they were smart, they would kind of. They kind of if break the it down and decided that, yeah, I mean, if they made a move, he'd be he'd be that interesting guy that could provide a little bit of pass rush, set the edge, maybe. Um, you know, he he might be all right. What did the Falcons have on defense? Do they have anybody? They're one and four. I didn't realize the Falcons are quite as bad as that. They have a few guys like Vic Beasley. Um, they have one more dude who's whose name yeah, is slipping they have my Vic mind. Beasley. Um, Takaris McKinley, uh, Adrian Claiborne, um, Devondre Campbell. 
Where are you? What position are you looking at? I was anyway. I'm just looking at up front pretty much. I, I mean, yeah. with with Jimmy Smith coming back, with Iman Marshall coming back, I think the secondary is going to be okay. Uh, especially with with you know, you hope Chuck Clark plays well. Um, you hope Deshaun Elliott plays well, and and you still have Anthony Levine back there. So I think we're still okay in the secondary, especially like I said with Jimmy Smith coming back, and even yeah. if he's not, even if he's not 100 percent right off the bat you know i think we're we're still in decent shape there i think the thing is the pass rush because right now even when wink martindale dials up a blitz nothing is happening so even when we send more guys like it's not even just the front four can't get pressure when we send five six seven guys we still can't get anything to the quarterback so you know well and that's the problem when you've got essentially a whole defensive line that their job is usually just to clog clog one mm-hmm. you know i mean and that's and i don't necessarily mean this as a as a uh criticism of, of how the ravens are built it's just the reality of where we are so without that without that outside pass rush you know we just don't we don't typically generate that inside pass rush unless they're worried about the outside and then those big dudes in the middle just overtake the the guys who are half worried about the the edge rush mm-hmm. um so i i don't know i mean it's not like pierce and brandon williams are guys that get get lots of sacks i don't see that inside rush changing warmly i think we both like him as a player i think he's a solid you know he'll be one of those solid vet guys he's not showing enough pass rush or push when he's in the game um, to help offset the fact that Williams and uh, and Pierce don't have that pass rush, so uh, I yeah, it's it's definitely a major problem. That's mm. yeah. I mean, maybe maybe now let's. I, I guess we we didn't mention the special teams and and oh boy, like what a performance by our special teams. You know, I was ready to move on to the Bengals, but from Sam Cook to Morgan Cox to obviously Justin Tucker. What a performance by the special teams. Even the coverage units were so good, and, and they they played a big reason in why Mike Tomlin decided to defer in overtime, which almost never happens. The coverage teams were pinning the Steelers like inside the 15-yard line on kickoffs. You know, that's Justin Tucker hanging the ball up there. It's guys like LJ Fort making a, making a big tackle uh, on the opening kickoff. I think that was a terrific performance all around by, by the special teams. And uh, that's been like the one consistent for a long time, long time now is having really good special teams. And how about justice Hill with the 46 yard? Oh yeah. And after, after all of the guff we gave him last week and oh my gosh, maybe we need a new kick returner and blah, blah, blah. He showed, he showed us once again that, or at least me that I don't know what I'm talking about and uh, had a real nice return. I thought he might take it to the house, but I'll take a 46 yard return any day of the week. So yeah, yeah. he looks fast. What else? What else can you say about Justin Tucker, man? He is just automatic. Automatic. That's all you can say. It's a fantastic nickname, and it's so well deserved. And it's fun watching potentially the best kicker in NFL history. Yeah, I mean those two kicks that he made to send it to overtime and then win. We mentioned it last week. It was it was in the difficult end to kick in Pittsburgh. Like after that one open end, and he played mm-hmm. the draw perfectly both times. And, and how just, about the last one, by the way, where you're like, "Oh my God, it's gonna go left!" Oh yeah. No, I, I I knew he had it. I knew he had it. As soon as it went up, it it did start left for sure. But he was playing it that did. draw that I that we oh, saw I, the previous you know, time I was too. Positive. I was pretty positive. Yeah, now, but. There was still that that like half second where I was like, ooh, ooh, and then yeah. okay, good, okay, good, good, good. Yeah, and and I I love the fact that Tomlin didn't even bother to freeze him. Um, it just doesn't work. Like, there's nothing you can do to him that's gonna take him out of his groove. It's and, just a waste of time. Yeah, right. And just give him my thirty seconds of my life back if you do try to freeze him because he's gonna make it anyway. He's just so good, and you see like other pretty severe kicking problems across the league 
I'm like, who, who was it that lost because they just couldn't make any field goals? Was that uh, not Carolina, like Tampa Bay or somebody who missed four field goals? Oh, the Titans. It was the Titans. They lost to the Bills because they missed four field goals. They lost by one point. I mean, mm. that's just something that the Ravens never have to worry about. Yeah, ever. And really in their in, in the the history of the team. I mean, when you go from Matt Stover, you know, through, yeah, there was some downtime between Stover to Tucker, but it wasn't much. And yeah. Tucker has been better and then some, which is saying something because Matt Stover was a pretty fantastic kicker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he's fantastic. Sam Cook with honestly a really, really clutch punt in overtime. Um, oh, huge. That was huge. massive. It was a big-time punt. He really got into it, didn't allow a return. I mean, if a bad punt there really, really changes even the play call that the Steelers have because maybe they don't even have to put it in the air that much, and, and maybe Marlon Humphrey doesn't get a chance to punch that ball out. And so, it, you know, it all comes back to, to Sam Cook in that moment, and that was a well, big— Well, how about punting out of your own end zone? I mean, yeah. it just, just, it just fantastic job by, by Cook overall. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Um, so really quickly, let's, let's hand out some game balls. Who do you have? I've got to give my, my game ball to Josh Bynes. I mean, we could go, we could go with Tucker. I mean, there are several players. I have a feeling I know who you're going with, but you know, after being on the street for essentially a year and coming right in and and playing as many snaps as he did for the Ravens on Sunday, it's got to be Josh Bynes for me. Yeah, and and I'm going to go with Marlon Humphrey to play the game, um, to punch the ball out, to go recover it yourself. I mean, that is just so incredible, you know, to, to have failed at that same thing earlier in the game and then try it again in a big time moment like that was was unbelievable so marlon humphrey gets mine i think honorable mention at least for me is going to be justin tucker and maurice kennedy um i think they deserve a lot of love for the way that they played as well pop of the week i just talked about it mine is going to be the fruit punch and i don't know if that's going to stick or if it's just a, a, a temporary thing but that was quite a pop to to force that ball out what I mean, really can't I can't say enough about it. I mean, that was such an incredible play. It's I mean, I, and that's my pop of the week as well. It has to be. It won the game, like we said before. That's that's going to go down as one of the best plays in Raven Steelers history among all the you know Palomalu interception returns for a touchdown or or whatever great Steelers plays. Now we have some more some more plays on the Ravens defensive side where uh, one of our stars makes an unbelievable play for the win. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Unbelievable. So let's look forward to week six. Cincinnati Bengals come to town 0-5. But like you said, they have some players. They still have some players on offense. Um, Andy Dalton's slinging it back there the best that he can behind a uh, not great offensive line. They have guys like Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd. And you mentioned their guys on defense. Uh, what are some of the things that you're looking for here so that the Ravens can come out with a win? Well, uh, you know, there definitely are players that scare me. You know, Mixon scares me. Dalton to Boyd scares me. I mean, let's face it, when, when the third-string quarterback for the Steelers gets brought into the game and, and is playing well, I'm not real excited about uh, dealing with a, an actual real quarterback in the NFL, despite what you may think about Andy Dalton. Um, he definitely has had good games against the Ravens. So a subpar Ravens defense uh, against uh, a, eh, we'll just say offense with potential for the Bengals. It's <laughs> um, a nice way to know, say it. It, it, uh, it, it doesn't, it, it isn't necessarily as comfortable as I'd like it to be. Now, on defense, I feel a little little bit different, or at least for the Bengals, defensively, I feel a little bit differently because, you know, our problems with the Bengals were two things. Marvin Lewis and Joe Flacco. For some reason, the Bengals, and, that, and this isn't me 
bashing Joe Flacco. It's just the reality that the Bengals were sort of his kryptonite. And, you know, Marvin Lewis just knew how to scheme for a Joe Flacco offense. Well, now not only do they not have Marvin Lewis anymore, of course, it's a very different offense and a very different quarterback. And and I, I, I want to see Marvin or excuse me, Marvin. I want to see Lamar play against the Bengals defense because I, I kind of want to see the Ravens offense maybe play well for once against Cincinnati. Honestly, it would be amazing if the Ravens can play well against Cincinnati because it always seems to be, you know, just like the Steelers, it seems to be like those division games that, you know, just you're never comfortable ever with anything. And the Bengals are the definition of that. They just find a way to hang in there against against the Ravens. And I think that our offense will kind of have their way with with the Bengals. They, you know, despite, despite those solid names on defense, they are second to last in total yardage per game. Uh, they give up over 411 yards per game. I think that the Ravens can really, really make some make some big plays against them, especially with how well the offensive line is playing. You know, they do have those big guys up front with like Dunlap and Atkins, but I think that our offensive line is going to overpower them a little bit, and we'll get back to that power big-time running game. And I think we're going to see some big plays from Hollywood Brown. And, uh, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call my shot here. I, I think Miles Boykin is going to run free a little bit as well. Um, on the other side of the ball, we have made a bad offensive line look okay already with, with the Cleveland Browns. I don't think that can happen again. I, I think the Ravens really, really need to find a way to pressure Dalton. He's just not good with when he's pressured. He, we can force some turnovers, give our offense some short fields, and really put this game away early. But that doesn't happen unless you unless you pressure him, and that just not is not coming right now. And gotta find a way. So maybe maybe let's talk about our bulletin board, and and that is what I'm gonna spring into right here is the pass rush and uh, the defensive coordinator, Wing Martindale. You gotta find a way to get Dalton off his spot. Don't let him just sit back there because, like you said, when he can sit back there, he is an NFL quarterback, and he will pick you apart. And we can't we can't let that happen. It, it's just it just can't. This is a team that we should absolutely crush. There should be no contest for this, and um, really, really just have to get after Dalton. So they are on my bulletin board so that the defense can succeed, which will feed the offense and their explosiveness. And uh, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I think your your bulletin board is a little bit different. I, my, my, my bulletin board is a, is a little bit different this week. And, and I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said regarding your, your, your bulletin board piece. Now I'm going, I'm going more high level. I'm going even above the Ravens because my, my bulletin board material is on behalf of both the Ravens, the Steelers, and let's face it, the rest of the league. Okay, referees, you need to get better. The performance of the of the the refs in that game, that crew during the Raven Steelers game, that was one of the worst officiated games I think I have ever seen. Both over officiated and under officiated at the same time. Terrible calls, terrible takes on replay. The fact that you know, you figure the the analysts on TV who, you know, are paid the former refs that, that you know, they're paying to to analyze these these replays. You think they they try to like, you know, and they do at times try to, you know, stick up for the decision. Yeah. Even if they don't agree with it. Gene Steratore was just yeah. like, nah, that's wrong. right. And here's why that's wrong. I mean, he basically shit on that crew the entire time they had any kind of review decision that was made. The the announcers were just baffled by the decisions. I know at one point John Harbaugh was like, this is a joke. And quite frankly, it is a joke. 
and the NFL needs to figure out a way to do it. It's actually unfortunate that guys like Gene Steratore are now in the booth because I thought he was one of the better referees that was out there. He was actually one of my favorite guys, to be honest with you, that was was out on the field. So I I do like him on TV now. Obviously, it's kind of nice to get that kind of candid perspective. But at the same time, the NFL has lost a lot of talent over the last few years, and, and that's becoming a bigger and bigger problem. So the NFL, the refs, you're all on notice. You're on the bulletin board. Things need to improve. Oh, my good Dude, I was going to say the same thing. That's the first time I've ever seen Gene Steratore disagree with what was called either on the field or in the review booth. But because, like you said, I thought he would just stick up for his boys, you know. But this is the first time that he was like, no, I disagree. I straight up do not think they got this right. And and I understand if you get the call wrong on the field because the game is so fast. But the point of review is to go back and get the call right. And if you come back from a review and you still get the call wrong, I like, dude, what what is even happening? Like, what is happening in New York where they say, like, no, this is the call that you need to make. And then, you know, the head ref has to jog out there and do it. Maybe the most egregious one, I, I would contend that the most egregious call that they missed was the roughing the passer that was called on uh, Lamar Jackson on that final drive in, in the oh, fourth quarter. We that would be awful. furious if it was the other way around. Absolutely that would be furious. that would be what led our podcast. And but, quite you know, frankly, we should have had a roughing the passer on the hit from Earl Thomas. You know, he probably should. I mean, look, I'm glad that, you know, he he didn't get thrown out of the game, all that stuff yeah. for the Ravens. But in reality, let's be real, whether it was intentional or not, he probably should have been thrown out of the game. You know, the, that was ridiculous on that end. You know, and that's that's for the Steelers. I mean, there were several terrible calls on both sides of the ball. And like you said, that that roughing the passer call set football back fucking 10 years. And excuse me for the F-bomb. We can bleep that out later. But that was just a terrible, terrible call uh, for roughing the passer. Great that it happened for the Ravens, but it's it's bad to see that for football. Yeah. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. And the most unfortunate thing is that just, you know, a week or two ago, the NFL signed a seven-year extension with the referees or, or the referees union uh, with the new CBA. So these guys aren't going anywhere. The lack of accountability isn't going anywhere. The same bad calls, the same bad reviews, they're not going anywhere. I just, I just don't get it, man. Like there's, there's no reason to get some of these things wrong, and they continuously, consistently frequently get them wrong so i am so on board with you for for calling them out it's it's really really bad it's bad and you know hopefully hopefully week to week it it's not as big of a glaring issue as it was this past week but uh like you said it's hard to it's hard to find some positivity and the light at the end of the tunnel for that. And then the one thing I will say, uh, one more thing, while, while I'm still hot here, the interception that Lamar threw when he was looking for Mark Andrews, that was pretty clearly defensive pass interference, right? Absolutely. Is defensive pass interference a part of the turnover review now? I think it has to be. If it's a reviewable play, then they need to review it during any review, right? That's a really good question. I, I you would imagine. So I don't know, if I don't know why there would be any caveat that wouldn't allow you to call it, but no. So assuming that it is that the that the pass interference is reviewed as part of a turnover or a, 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 specifically an interception. First of all, how do you watch that play and say there was no pass interference? And second of all, how do you come out of that review so quickly? Because if it, if it's even close, then you probably need to look at it a few times. But they kind of operated as if, you know, all right, just put the ball down, Steelers ball, here we go, first down. And there was no hesitation at all, which I don't get. So who knows what's going on here? I think 
the only way for me to figure it out is to get hired into the NFL and infiltrate from within. I, and I think I, I think I'm all for that today. I, I can't yeah. wait for it to happen. I will I will help you uh, craft your fake mustache that you'll use as you infiltrate the NFL and and uh, you know move on. I don't know why you have to wear a fake mustache, but it seems like a good idea if I you're so. you know infiltrating a, a nefarious organization. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I, I I think I'm gonna have to do that. So I don't know. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll cool down a little bit. Let's well, let's as, move back. As you take the as you take your step off the the soapbox, and and I applaud everything you just said. Um, I I also have to point out just the general weirdness of the game, and how you know we knocked out the Steelers quarterback in their home park or home stadium rather. And they couldn't even take him off the field on the cart because it either wasn't charged or there was some kind of operator error. And then they had to push the cart off. Well, wait a minute. They're pushing the cart off. Why don't they still put (laughs) the quarterback on the damn cart instead of making him walk off the field after he was knocked out? Like, he looked dead on the field. And they made him walk off while there's a cart that apparently was fully functional because, unfortunately, later in the game, Tony Jefferson got taken off on it. But what? <laughs> what the heck? Right? Well, so that's that's the other thing I was laughing at is, like, they made him walk off the field because the cart wasn't working. And then after the game, they, they said, like, oh, yeah, he wanted like he said he wanted to walk off. There is no way. That he said he wanted to walk off because think about when guys go to like the blue tent when they are are only under like suspicious uh, suspicion of having a concussion. And then the doctor said, like, oh, no, you can't play, even though the guy's moving around fine or or he seems to be moving around fine. He was out cold on the field and they made him walk off. How that is that is terrible. And if the NFL is going to say that they if they yeah, if they say they're going to care about all these player um, safety issues and things like that. I mean, I don't care what Mason Rudolph says. You do not let him walk off the field like that. That was so dangerous because, yeah, it's so dangerous. It's a terrible look. And first of all, who is running the Pittsburgh operations in which the, the carts aren't charged? And second of all, the medical staff who let him walk off, like, my goodness, that what, what a, yeah, terrible, terrible situation that cart? was. There's really only one cart. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't there be like a cart on either side of the field? Like, what happens if there are two players that need to be taken off on a cart? Don't like on the same play. That has to have happened before. Like, they really only have one effing cart. Like, yeah. couldn't they have like gone out with cart number two or even a stretcher or something? Not here. We're gonna walk you off the field. And he really shouldn't have had a choice. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, no, no way, no way. It it just that's not a choice. I don't care who you are. I don't care if suddenly he's back up and reciting, you know, the uh, you know Gettysburg Address because he's that you know mentally with it. He got knocked the blank out. Like you know, he he went to the hospital. Yeah, crazy man. It's crazy. Yeah, wild. All right. Uh, all right. Week six, Bengals. <laughs> yeah, week six, back, Bengals. back to them again. Yeah, give me a prediction. Let's get out of here. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say closer than we want it to be. Twenty-four to sixteen, Ravens. I got thirty-one seventeen, Ravens. They dominate and uh, get out of week six with another win. They keep first place and. Uh, Move on to the Seahawks, who are coming up afterwards. That's going to be a really tough one. All yeah, right, that's well, not not looking forward to that game, but you know, the, we'll we'll just have to take it one game at a time. I'm just like the the old saying goes. Yep, absolutely. So the Ravens steal one in the Steel City, move to three and two. That was pretty good. Steal one in the Steel City. There I'll, you go. Uh, Got to trademark that one. Move to three and two. Get their first win against the Steelers. Always good to get a win against the Steelers. Doesn't matter how it comes. Holly, sign us off.
Thanks for listening this week, everybody. We'll talk to you next after we beat the Bungles. See you next week. Go Ravens. Go Ravens.